There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning, Monday morning. It's not a bad morning out there, actually. It's going to brighten up a lot. In the afternoon And the forecast for the week is lovely There's no wet stuff worth talking about Until at least next Sunday In fact, we're lucky if we get any rain at all Or unlucky if we get any rain at all During the week, which is lovely Back to school this morning Back to school I bring you, I mean, I bring you actual scenes From outside pretty much every school in the country As the little ones went back like Actual scenes Parents outside the school's Around the city and county as all the kids went back. <laughs> Actually, speaking of which, traffic must have been a bit off colour this morning. Ken Perry joins me. Ken, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. How was it? It actually wasn't too bad. I expected it to be a lot worse, but I don't think most of the schools went back. From what I can gather, it was mostly first years in the secondary schools that went back. And I think the second, third and fourth and whatever are going back starting tomorrow but I even heard of people not going back until Wednesday so there's a, there's a good drip feed of them coming back right right because we yeah, Wednesday being the 1st of September, everyone will be back by, by then. There's a lot of work has been done just outside us here in Wellington Road over the last couple of weeks, preparing for, for the new school. That'll, that'll be a case of suck it and see for that. Was there any evidence of trouble this morning? No, and I, I knew what was coming on with this. I went up and I was up there for about 20 minutes. It's going to be chaos, PJ. If you think about it, you've got Christians, primary school and secondary school. You've got Skullzera, primary school and secondary school. Around the corner, you've got Bruce College and St. Angela's. And a lot of people will just use that Wellington Road. They've reduced the amount of car parking space, which is what they're doing all over the city now. And they've increased the size of the footpaths. 
just at that corner going up to Sydney Hill. That's where I see the big problems because a lot of those those cars you'd see in the mornings would be SUVs and big Jeeps. There's no way you'll get two of them, one up, one down. They've increased the footpath so big, it is going to cause major delays. I think more of the Christians' kids are going to suffer from this because it is going to cause problems. And then even just coming down to Wellington Road where that merges with Patrick's Hill, that's where you're going to see the St. Angela's traffic coming down and the Bruce College traffic coming up and down. And it is just going to be, I think it's going to be chaos. But it's like that. We'll have to wait and see when it comes in at the end of the week. This is this is all to do, of course, with like you said, easing traffic and making roads more safe for people to walk on the pavements and that kind of thing. But like you said, it's going to create, particularly here around this part of town, a massive pinch point. Yeah, and they put in a bus stop just on Wellington Road. They put in a bus stop again. We'd be up there with the office being so close. Um, it's it's going to be a problem, you know, because. I know there's a need for a bus stop with those schools, but does it need to be every single day? It just, again, a bus stop is two, maybe three parking spaces that could be used. The rest of it is set, set down only, which only gives you a 15-minute w- window of opportunity. And again, you'd have a lot of the parents that I'd lose up there that might have two kids, one in each school, Christians in school there, or maybe one in the primary and one in the secondary, and they'd be out within a half an hour of each other. So it is going to cause some serious delays. And the parking, I know that they've got a job to do, but those traffic wardens up there, they can be quite vigilante when they want to. I know myself from parking outside the door of Broadcasting House. <laughs> they've got a job to do, I know, but you know, it doesn't make it any better when you come out and there's a ticket on the window. All right. Listen, can we catch up during the week as we get a bit busier uh, in the next couple of days with back-to-school traffic? That's Ken Perrett for the Corks 96 FM Street Fleet. Uh, um, I know you think we're probably focusing on what's across the road right now, and I guess we are, but there's going to be absolute carnage outside the door of this radio station and those schools uh, later on in the week when everyone comes. Come here. That camogie match yesterday, the very, very last gasp Last swing of a hurley, last breath of the game. Cork Camogie team beat Kilkenny by a point and off to play Galway in the All Ireland final on the 12th of September. That'll be some game. And not to mind, I'm delighted as well for Nemo, although I'm, I'm losing track of what they actually won because another won the county championship. But, like, it's not this year. That one starts next week. So they won last year's one. This year, in August, in the, in the sunshine. Great. Lord Mayor's also asking everyone to get the red and white flags out for the Cork teams this evening, uh, like they did for, for the men, to get all of the red and white out for this evening. He's doing an event. Is it tonight? He's doing a special event online for all of the Cork GA teams that have performed so well across the summer. But delighted in particular for the Camogie uh, making their way to the final now and uh, delighted, of course, for, for Nemo, uh, county champions again. 1850 Quick mention as well for the mother, for Mammy. She has a roundy birthday today. It's a big roundy birthday. But by God, she wears it well. Morning, ma'am. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Let me show you what it's all about.
Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Catch me in the afternoons in Cork for amazing tunes, brilliant giveaways while you're at work. Oh, that's brilliant. It was very delicious. Thank Congrats. You so much. Pop the Cheers. non-alcoholic champagne. Yes, yeah. it's absolutely sparkling water all the way. <laughs> Old school throwbacks. Hello, Simon. How are you? Finish that 90s TV phrase. Go home. Roger. <laughs> and anything else you want to hear on the radio in the afternoon on Lee Side. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With McCarthy's House and Home at Douglas Court and Ballancolic Shopping Centres. All of great deals on all your interior decor. On Courts 96 FM. Now, as every school year starts again, we hear of many, many complaints. Some of them about transport, some about the allocation of SNAs, some of them about schools being overcrowded and classes being crowded and, and no doubt that what will be added to it this year will be the ones about ventilation and all of that stuff but every year it comes around and it never seems to go away and that is the children with additional needs uh, can they get what they're entitled to can they get what they need can they get their SNA can they get their place let alone an SNA can they get their transport if they've got a place and are an SNA I've always said over the years, if you get the mammies together and the mammies band together as a group, there'd be very few people say no to them. That's why I'm delighted to see the setting up of We Care. Liz Kite, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Who's involved in this and why did you set it up? So um, it's a group of Cork mums um, who are friends of mine um, and we kind of came together during the lockdown and we all have children with additional needs, a varying uh, a diversity of additional needs. Um, and I guess during the lockdown, um, I spoke to you in January, I think, when the schools were closed and there, was, there had been no, at that point, there had been no additional needs. Um, educational yes. provision yes. for a year um, and I think as well most um, carers will relate to this um, people who are parents and carers um, that on top of that we've had no services and we've had and there's there's really no respite as well uh, that's an ongoing issue um, for carers and I think I've just got to the point for me personally where um, you know my mental health was very affected by this, my ability to cope. Um, and it, I'm just hearing the same story again and again. If I'm in a playground, I am meeting moms again and again. I have a daughter with Down syndrome, so it's, it's very obvious that I have a child with an additional need. So people, I think, are more likely to approach you. Um, and I'm giving the same advice again and again, how to get an assessment for autism, why the waiting list so long, you know, all of these things, how to get an SNA. And it's just the last time I had this conversation, PJ, I was just heartbroken that, again, you know, I've been in the system now seven years, Nothing has changed. If anything, it's getting worse with particularly the um, organisation of the children's disability services yeah. in Cork, which hopefully may be a good thing, but from what we're hearing may mean actual less hands-on support and more um, work that parents and parents have to do at home. This is the... This is the... Which is well-meaning. Um, so I just, we just came together and after many heartfelt conversations... Um, this has just got to change. Um, we're in a better place now. Um, the school kids are back, hopefully back at school. Um, and hopefully we won't be heading into another lockdown. Um, but we just were 
we're just fed up and we're like as you say surely all of us together can come together all people who are grassroots caregivers whether they are families parents moms dads grandparents teachers we have a teacher in our group snas um, therapists, healthcare workers, anybody who is on the ground caring for children with additional needs. We all have the same problems. We all care deeply about our children. We really care about their future and we can see their potential. Um, we just need to change the whole system. It's mm-hmm. underfunded and it is not, um, it's not set up to cope um, with the situation that we have. And it doesn't recognize the daily reality of living with children um, with ad- additional needs. So what we are saying is to um, other parents and moms in the same situation as us is, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to expect more. It's mm-hmm. okay to express that you need help, that you, we have dependencies and that we're vulnerable. So mm. I but guess you talk about, want- Liz, you, you, you say <laughs> expect more there now, and I'm not pulling you up on this. I just wanted to come in yeah. on it. Like, my lad is will be 24 next month. So, yeah. so, so we're, we're through the school system and out the other yeah. side. But, but we remember well as parents... The, the problems we had getting him along step by step yeah. by step, the fight we had, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the tears that we sometimes had and, yeah. and the arguments that we had to put pressure. And, you know, I come from a place of unique privilege here in that I have a very public job that gives yeah. me an opportunity to be known. That, and you still have to use an awful lot of muscle to, to help. And these are for the basics. These are not for luxuries. These are not for extras. You have no. to work from the minute you get the diagnosis. You have to work like a Trojan for the smallest yeah. thing. Absolutely, and I salute you for all the work that you've done and how strong you've been and how much courage and compassion that you've had. For no, your the time. point I'm trying to make, Liz, is that mm. uh, that it, what I'm noticing as I talk to groups like yours is it isn't getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse. Absolutely, and I think that's why we feel... We're not interested in setting up a charity or fundraising, any of those things. It's it's the changing the system we need to do, and that's people power. And we need to, I think, continually highlight how the, the gap between the bureaucracy, I mean, anyone that's had to fill in the sort of 90-page carer's allowance form, it's just heartbreaking. And to repeat your, um, you know, your worst day um, that you've ever had with your child over again, it's traumatic. It's traumatic. I think we should expect more as families that we shouldn't have to accept this trauma on a daily basis. When I'm talking about expecting more, I feel that as parents of children with additional needs and families, we should expect more as in we should have the small joys that other families have who have um, typically developing children. I I don't think that's too much to to ask for. Do you, PJ? No, no. Like simple things. I know that by the end of September... I'll have had at least one call or one letter or one email from a parent whose child was promised a place in the transport system mm-hmm. and there's still no bus. And that's happening yeah. for years. I'll have another call from a child who has gone back to school and sharing an SNA with mm-hmm. another child two floors away. Not good yep. enough, not acceptable, but no. still going on. Yeah, and I, I think I don't think it's too much to ask that uh, every child who needs access to an SNA has one, um, that every child ha- ha- needs transport place has one, because it's. I think what we, as particularly in this country, are very good at privately taking on these struggles, and it's about time that we said, 
actually, we can't manage all this on our own. The trauma this has on our families, on the siblings, on the parents, it's just not good enough. Other sections of society would not tolerate this. But because carers are so much on their place, it's very difficult for them to speak up. So that's why we have come together to try and change the culture of care and to provide a community um, which is supportive of other carers in the same position as us to provide them with information so we're not they're not having to go through the same um, journey, harrowing journey that we've all been through. Um, so I guess that's really why, why we've come together and what, what we hope to do. Our first project will be a listening project. Um, often we hear people say about um, other parents um, who have children with additional needs, God, I just don't know how she does it. Well, what we want um, moms and, and carers to tell us is, well, how do you do it and what do you need? And on the basis of those stories that we collect, that will form our campaigning and our aims and our demands um, and that we will be able to go to politicians and say, this is the live reality. This is the impact um, that your underfunding and, and policies, current policies and the bureaucracy are having on, on people's lives. And this yeah. is a significant number of people. There's 300,000 yeah. family carers in Ireland. Um, and that's, not, that's just them, not their families. So this impacts a huge number of people. And it, is it acceptable? in the 21st century that we still are living with this level of carelessness. I think it's it's the it's the who minds the minders is is the thing Absolutely. as well. You'll mind each other in this group. We'll mind each other, but we want support. You know, we already have a lot going on. And what we're saying is a lot of the work that particularly moms are doing, the additional work, not just being parents, parents but being carers is completely invisible and the impact that that's having on mothers in particular because it is about 75 percent of carers of children with additional needs are are, are women are moms um that this is invisible um it's very difficult to access support many people are like myself i'm a, a migrant here i don't have my own family here i my, my only support is my husband and the brilliant women in our group. Um, but that's not enough. We all have our own things going on. We need more respite so that I can be there for my kids, so that I can function, so that I, I think I deserve to have a life, that I deserve mm-hmm. to, to have kind of joys in my life. And I feel like my parenting has become very functional, very joyless. It's just around, you know, what is the bottom line, keeping my child safe, the safest, the the most least stressful, stress-inducing thing that I can do. And that's not enough. I, I think life should be about more than that, you know. Yeah. Um, and I want that for other mothers too. Um, really, um, that's the motivation for this um, project is let's have some real change around our culture of, of care. Let's change the systems. And we can only do that if we come together and, and yeah. do that together. Now, you have uh, an email address, which which I'll give out. It's called We Care Ireland, all one word, 2021 at gmail.com. We Care Ireland, 2021 at gmail.com. I've been saying it for years, Liz, that until such time as the parents get together, and decide we're not putting up with this nonsense anymore, things won't yeah. change. So, so I wish you every success with this. Every success. Thank you so much for your support, um, PJ. That means a lot. And, uh, um, well, as yeah, I said, I, I, come from, I, come, I come from having been through this as a, as a parent. Do you know? Yeah. And I, I will say one thing. When our lads were, were coming through the schools, the moms got together. The moms are still all friends. The moms still all meet up and have a WhatsApp group and all of that. But I'll tell you one thing. The moms, when they got together, you see three or four moms coming down a school corridor. 
or coming into a politician's office, they start to shake in their boots. Because one thing, <laughs> a group, a group of pissed off mums, they won't go away. No, um, and absolutely, and we 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 want to, um, you know, we want to express uh, and get together with other caregivers, and and that's to say we we recognise all the individuals who've who've worked with our children and given us fantastic support, whether that's therapists, SNAs, or teachers. You know, um, we really want to big them up. But I think it's time that we all got together because we we've all got the same interests. Um, we were all on our ch- children's side, but and we're also on carers' side. Um, so we just want well, to. There'll, there'll, drag there'll, that there'll up. be an open door here anytime you need our help. Thank you so much, PJ. Thank you for your time. Cheers, Liz. Take care. That's Liz Kite, one of the founders of We Care. We Care Ireland 2021 at gmail.com. Am I biased? Absolutely I'm biased. Because I have been listening to this and going through this with our own boy for 20-something years and listening to parents going through it September after September and other times of the year for years and it has not gotten any better. In fact, it's gotten worse. In fact, it's gotten harder. The bureaucracy mounts up into piles of paper three and four feet high. So any group that can try to break that down will have uh, certainly have my support. 1850-715-996. Maeve says, when you're told by a social worker and an educational officer that if you know anyone in government, get on to them and keep calling and emailing. It's all put back on the parent and sometimes the parents are so tired and so vulnerable. How on earth are they to find that energy and that strength? I'm already exhausted and the school year only starts tomorrow and so does the daily battle. Hi PG, my son needs one-on-one in school but he's in mainstream and from his assessment during the year was recommended by NEPS. It was told by the school it'd be a couple of years. Even though I've tried contacting the special educational needs officer before school year ended, still no, no return to my call and I've asked to go private. He needs other services too. Uh, NEPS is an assessment, an, ass- an assessment body. Um, it's, it's an educational psychology services and they assess the, ch- the children and they explain what they need. It's a disgrace my child will struggle in school when he can't get the full help he needs. Waiting lists are two to three years long just for an assessment. Uh, another person says SNA timetables in national schools are now looked for minute by minute by the department. I'm not joking. Oh, 1850 715 996. We Care Ireland 2021 at gmail.com is the number. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Here's some of the winners from the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Best Bar. Murphy's Rock Bar. Best Salon. Image Beauty Salon. Best Hairdresser. Fusion. Best Gym. District Health and Leisure. Best Workplace. Cope. Best Hotel. Photo Island. Best Burger. Son of a Bun. Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie. Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths, and more with a 12 month guarantee backed by Board Gosh Energy. Only on Cork's 96 FM. 715996. On Cork's 96 FM. As to mention the Cork Minor Camogie players, they won by a point uh, against Dublin 
in Kilkenny on Saturday. See, the ma- matches are so spread out around the weekend now, you could easily forget one. So the seniors won yesterday against Kilkenny uh, by a point, and then the minors won Saturday by a point against Dublin. That was in Kilkenny. Nice one. And let me not forget uh, the great Olympian, possibly our greatest Olympian, uh, knocked up another gold medal at the weekend. Jason Smith had six gold medals and gold in the hundred and four consecutive Olympics. The man is a machine. As our friend Will Downing, who was the commentator on the race, <laughs> Will finished his comments by just saying, they can't beat him. Jason Smith, six gold medals, four consecutive Olympics. The man is an absolute legend. People were saying, is he our greatest track athlete of all time? And there is an argument for it. There is absolutely an argument to say that. 1850-715-996. Oh, do you remember I was talking to uh, Pauline last week? She was in Alcudia. She said, good morning. She said, I'm here again in Alcudia. Met a lady in the hotel two days ago from Cork. She came up to me and asked me, was I on the radio the other morning? Said yes, and I was shocked. I thought she was out here and she heard me. So this lovely lady heard me chatting to PJ last week and in, I inspired her to go and book a holiday. She said, if that girl can go on holiday on her own, herself and her husband could go. So she booked a holiday after hearing us on the radio. How mad is that? Oh, I'm just jealous that anyone's in Alcudia at the moment. Thank you for that, Paul. Enjoy this is today. I think you're coming home. Enjoy uh, your trip home and safe home. A string of meetings began last week with Neffet having its regular meeting. Then the Cabinet COVID Committee met Friday for several hours and they're meeting again today. They will draw up a document that will go before Cabinet tomorrow and that will be signed off on tomorrow. And we will get a speech from uh, Michal Martin tomorrow evening. And a document will land then telling us where we go from here with regards to COVID-19. What it does look like is that pretty much all the restrictions will be gone by the Jazz Weekend, by the end of October. Except maybe the nightclub ones, they might last a, a little bit longer than that. But pretty much all the restrictions will be gone by then. And we're going to have to deal with personal responsibility. Bit like, bit like Boris did in the UK ask people to rely on their personal responsibility, but there won't be a particular Freedom Day as such. There'll be a timetable with the first things starting to fall away within the next week or so. Public transport is going to go to 100% from, say, I think next Monday. So we'll we'll know more this evening, but let's catch up with uh, an old friend of the show, Dr. Jack Lambert from the UCD School of Medicine to see uh, where he thinks we should be going and if the plans we're hearing coming out of Cabinet are the right ones. Jack, good morning. Good morning. Lovely to speak with you again on the Opinion Line. Uh, what we know is, is what I've just been going through there. Do you think this is the, r- the right decisions are about to be made? Well, the right decision is to open up the country. The right decision is to open up the economy, open up the, the public sector, absolutely. But it has to be opened up safely, and it's not necessarily just contingent upon vaccinations. We've all of a sudden kind of jumped to focusing on vaccines, vaccines, vaccines work, but they're not 100%. So we need to continue all the other precautions, you know, safely. We need to educate the public on what safe, you know, COVID, you know, COVID behavior is. Mm. 
Vaccines, like you said, they're not 100%, but we know that they do work and we know they have great mitigation strength against the, the worst of effects of, of, the, of the campaign. One of the things, for example, is that indoor events like theatres and music would open for fully vaccinated audience only in the initial stages. Right. And, and I think that's probably reasonable because cause, cause the cases we're seeing in the hospital now mostly um, of people coming into the hospital, they're mostly people who are unvaccinated or people who are immunocompromised who didn't respond to the vaccine. So, yeah, so it does make sense that th- those are those are the population who are transmitting it. But still, but also 50 percent of all the new cases in the last two weeks are uh, under 25. So 50 yeah. percent of cases. So it's younger people are transmitting the virus and even 15% under 12. So the virus is, is very transmissible. So, so we can't throw away the face masks, the hand washing, the so, you know, some kind of distancing when it's possible. Um, I just think the message is, is that we don't go back to normal. We go back to kind of getting on with life in, mm-hmm. in a safe way. Yeah. Like, for example, we hear from the Ministry of Transport that public transport will be back to 100% capacity within a week or two. Do you think that the mandatory masks on, on the bus should be kept in place? Absolutely. Has to be. Has to be. You know, I mean, every time you take off masks, you know, I mean, every I, I check very carefully. You know, we wear masks meticulously in the hospital, um, you know, on an ongoing basis, even though I'm vaccinated, I, I don't like it. I wear a mask eight, 12 hours a day oh when I'm in the hospital because it's just, it's a safe thing to do. Yeah. When I'm in my office, all my staff does the same thing. Um, and, and when that hasn't happened, I've seen outbreaks. When people let down their guard, there's, out, there's outbreaks of COVID. So masks help. They're part of the solution. So if I was in a bus or a train or an airplane, I wouldn't go on it without, without a mask. And I'd be shocked if, if they would allow everybody to walk around without a mask. I think that's irresponsible to, for the government to allow that to happen. And it's irresponsible for people to do that, yeah. put others in the bus at risk. Not too sure if you heard the comments of Professor Luke O'Neill over the weekend, Jack, but he said that primary school children should wear masks. Would you agree with him? Well, I think, I think that, I, I just told you, 50% of all new cases in the last two weeks, 25,000 cases, uh, 50% of that were less than 25 yeah. and uh, 15% were less than 12. So they're, they're spreading the virus. So I think you can take a chance and just go back to schools and do nothing and you will see outbreaks. The government says kids don't transmit COVID. Well, if they don't trans- co- transmit COVID, how come 15% of 25,000 cases are in 12 and unders? They're catching it somewhere. They're either yeah. catching it, they'll catch it in schools or they'll spread it in schools. Yeah, actually, we, we've had this argument back and forth uh, for the last 18 months as to exactly where we stood with children. First of all, we thought they were vectors and then we thought they weren't. Mm. And then we thought, they, I mean, this is what you do, Jack. You're an infectious diseases consultant. Your average mm-hmm. seven or eight-year-old child picking up COVID, they themselves probably won't get sick at all. But how infectious are they? Well, they're probably less infectious than grown-ups, okay? That continues to be an issue. But in the first wave, you know, the adults were more infectious, kids were less infectious. Now we're in the third wave. The second wave of virus is 60% more infectious. The third wave of virus is 60% more infectious. So kids now are more infectious than adults were in the first wave. So they're less infectious, but they're still very infectious. You know, Mm. this is the point, you know? Yeah, and... and Preventing them getting it because they're not vaccinated yet 
we, we, we're, we're powerless to do that other than by the, the, the I suppose, careful, careful management of the situation. Careful management, you know, meticulous, you know, in the schools, there has to be kind of the ongoing behaviors, you know, the social distance, one positive, the ha- possible, the hand washing, and then masks are an option as well. Now, you know, I'm just saying, I think if we don't do it, we'll just wait and see and see if there's outbreaks in the school. And I suspect there will be if we don't, in unva- unvaccinated children, if we just kind of do nothing and, and, and let the experiment go on. And, and you're right, maybe people say, well, maybe just let them get COVID. But if they get COVID, they're out of school. Uh, you know, the, 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 the whole school's closed down. Uh, family members are infected and vulnerable people at home. May, these children may bring the virus back home as well. So there's a consequence to having a positive COVID test. And a few kids with COVID get this bad, you know, inflammatory disease that damages yes. the heart. It's very rare, but it's still... 10 times increased than, than, than it was before COVID. And if that was your child, yes. that's significant. And then finally, long COVID. Mm. Teenagers, young adults are getting long COVID. So you say just, you know, if it, that's quite a significant condition to have for years and years afterwards. So I think vaccination and, you know, mitigation, masks, hand washing, social distancing will continue to be part of the solution moving forward. Do, do, do you think that we will have a children's vaccine in the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think we will. I think we will. I think they'll start moving down. So it's, it's, it's approved for 12 and older, and they're doing studies on, on under 12. You know, we have, you know, kids get vaccinations at two, four, and six months, and it's been life-saving, you know, yeah. for these children. We don't see polio, TB. We, we're, we're always, we're, we're kind of treating COVID differently. Teenagers get HPV vaccines, you know, um, to save them from getting cervical cancer and genital warts. You know, all of a sudden, COVID, COVID vaccines have been politicized. We have to kind of put it into mainstream and let the public understand that this, this is it's the same strategy for COVID vaccines as all other vaccines that have been life-saving, you know, in, 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 in our world over mm. the last 50 years. You, you, the the conspiracy theorists get on your nerves, Jack, I'd say. Well, it's just, it's just like I said, I've, I've seen, you know, I, I've seen, I've been in third world countries and seen devastation caused by measles epidemics. You know, I, I knew Sabin, the guy who discovered the, the vac- and, and Salk, I knew these people who discovered the polio vaccine. We don't see polio anymore. Yeah. I used to see it when I was in training, you know, you don't see it anymore, thank God. Um, and I'd like to see COVID end in the next few years. Yeah. And vaccines are a critical part of the solution. Briefly, come back to uh, long COVID, because the first time you and I spoke, Jack Lambert, was about Lyme disease, in which you're it's an area you've spent many years of your life working on Lyme disease. Long COVID is something that can be with us, could be with someone for for a year, maybe two years. Are there any similarities? Can we get rid of long COVID, the symptoms of long COVID, or did your body just have to recover by itself? Well, that, that's, the, that's the issue. We don't know. We don't really have a good plan in Ireland for long COVID. And there's a lot of similarities. You get damage to your the, the virus or in, in the, in the COVID or the bacteria, which is Borrelia, the Lyme bacteria, circulates, and then your immune system starts attacking. And people have long-standing, you know, inflammatory conditions in the brain, inflammatory conditions in the joints, the nerves, the heart. This is, you know, this is exactly, the, I think there's a lot of similarities. I have patients now, and I have a long COVID clinic at the Mater, and I've got patients who are 18 months down the way, 
and I'm seeing them, but I've got no resources. There doesn't seem to be a plan uh, for long COVID. I think we need to have a, a long-term plan for taking care of our healthcare workers mm. who get infected 18 months ago and people in the community who get infected. So yes, it's a, it's a significant condition. And do you see a difference between long COVID, as we describe it, and what we know as post-viral syndrome? Do you see a difference? Well, yes, it's probably more severe because, you know, because people get chronic fatigue syndrome, post-viral syndrome from Epstein-Barr virus, and they're just fatigued um, with COVID is causing so much more serious inflammatory conditions. So, yes, I think it is a a much more significant, you know, post, you know, post-viral condition. There's lots of viruses. COVID is a new virus that I don't think we've ever seen before, and I don't know how long these long COVID patients are going to continue to be sick. And at the current time, there is no plan, there is no treatment, but we need to have a joined-up plan mm. because these people are going from one specialist to another, or they can't go anywhere because there is no centre that will kind of support them. Um, and the GPs, I think it's it's challenging for specialists. I think it's uh, it's difficult for GPs to be able to know what to do. Mm-hmm. Lastly, and briefly, Jack Lambert, are we almost at the end of this, or just we do have do, do we have to just get on with it and know the rules and stick with them for the foreseeable? Yeah, we're not at the end of it. Um, I didn't I didn't know what was going to happen a year and a half ago. I would have said maybe COVID would just die out because it's an animal virus and it doesn't like humans. But this virus seems to be adapted to humans and it's getting stronger in humans rather than weaker. So I think this is going to go on for years and years. So I think we just need to get on with it, accept the fact that we have to use masks, accept the fact we need to get vaccination, but don't use lockdown and delayed reopening as a solution. I think we need to get really clear messages from the government or to the government that that's not an acceptable strategy. And we need to tell the public that they need to take all all of the appropriate precautions and be part of the solution themselves. All right, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, Professor Jack Lambert from the UCD School of Medicine, a consultant in infectious diseases. Thank you, Jack, as always. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96fm.ie. A lot of stories in various corners of the media in the last week, week and a half, to the effect that we could be facing winter blackouts in Ireland. Electricity blackouts. Not because of strike action or anything like that, but we simply don't have enough electricity generation to go around. A lot of it is caused by COVID 19, in that generators have. They've run aground, as it were. They've run into trouble and they're not being fixed. And we've got a problem with our supply. And could we actually, in the long, cold, hard nights of winter, could we be facing blackouts? One would hope not. Um, Brian O'Gallacor is director of the Marai Research uh, at UCC. Um, Brian, 
could we be facing blackouts? And if so, why? Uh, thanks, PJ. The, well, we always face the risk of uh, electricity supply shortages. Um, but it's something we don't often see uh, visibly because uh, it, it's only when, it's, uh, when it actually happens that it impacts on, directly, on us directly. And in, in fairness to the uh, electricity system operators, AirGrid and ESB networks, they've sheltered us from um, uh, blackouts and electricity cuts uh, in a very uh, significant way over the last uh, 20 years or so. And, and in that time frame, we have, uh, as you say, reduced some of the uh, electricity supply as we, we're moving away from the um, fossil fuels towards more wind and solar uh, on our system. And in addition, we have uh, growing electricity demands. So we need uh, increasing amounts of electricity. And at the same time, we want to make sure that that electricity has a, a lower carbon footprint, produces less emissions. Mm. So um, th- this has been very challenging, and it's particularly challenging this year, as you say, because there's, there's two particular gas-fired plants, uh, one in Whitegate and Cork, one mm-hmm. in Huntstown in Dublin, and, and they're currently uh, out of action, being repaired. So we really need to put uh, all shoulders to the wheel to make sure that those um, those power plants can come back online. We also need to uh, have um, planned demand response measures. Now, we always have demand response measures, and this is Expl- effectively... Explain that allow- for the layman. Yeah. What does that mean? So th- this would allow, um, effectively, electricity to be uh, turned down uh, or cut off for particular purposes. You know, So companies might be able to do refrigeration at different times of the day, for example. So the, um, the signal, they would give a signal that it's, uh, it's okay for the electricity to be cut down at a certain point. Airgrid would let them know, listen, we're gonna, we need to cut it down between this hour and this hour. So it's a planned approach. So it doesn't affect the, um, what the electricity is used for. It just shifts things. But allows then the system to be able to cope with times when there are uh, lower demands. Mm. Now, we, we also have a growth in data centres, like we're all using cloud streaming services, yeah. etc. And so this requires large amounts of data transfer, and, and that in turn requires data centres. And in Ireland, there's been a, a strong growth and a strong planned growth in um, data centres. And, and these centres use a lot of electricity. So They're, they're adds, very thirsty, Divils. Why are they so thirsty? Well, it's it's because of the the I mean the amount of of computing power that's required uh, to deliver our uh, cloud services. Uh, that's one aspect. Uh, also, there's, there's heat generated, so they have to cool down, uh, keep the things cool. Now, this is one of the reasons that Ireland is attractive compared to other maybe hotter countries. In that, it, it, it could result in electricity. Uh, higher electricity demands uh, elsewhere. Yeah. But it, it is very high. And, and one of the things we could consider is to, to require data centres to make sure that their electricity is met by zero emissions electricity. Some of the data centres are um, have, uh, you know, have deals in place with wind farms, so they set up these corporate yeah. power purchases. Like, are they not required to produce a certain amount of their own clean electricity? Uh, no, not at the moment. The the um, so that's a thing that we could um, uh, consider, and and in that way, it would 
it, it would shift the pressure, if you like, off the system onto the uh, the data centres to become more part of the solution, uh, right. if you like. So they're not uh, required to generate their own, which you would think would be would be would be a good modern solution or at least part solution. Is there a realistic prospect that facing into a cold winter? that we could be facing nights where the TV just won't come on or we can't boil the kettle? Well, in, in, in fairness to, to Airgrid and, and ESB networks, we, we haven't seen this before. So I, I wouldn't... Uh, I, I'd, I'd be confident in their abilities to uh, make sure the system uh, delivers the uh, the required amounts of, of electricity. And, and as I say, there are those measures that they are putting in place in terms of uh, demand side uh, response measures, uh, also trying to secure um, sort of backup or, or short term uh, electricity contracts, and, and secondly, uh, thirdly, rather than to um, um, all shoulders to the wheel to get those gas power plants back online. Right. So, so possible, but you'd hoped avoidable. Yes. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. That's Brian O'Garakor. He's Professor of Energy Engineering and Director of the Marai Research Centre for Energy, Climate and Marine Research at UCC. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Do you know, a buddy of mine who's in the car trade, his mechanic, said to me a couple of years ago, he said, unless they do something about the electricity supply and they start looking to put more and more electric cars on the road, we're going to be in trouble. He cited me where he lives himself, and I won't say where because people will be giving out stink when I do. But he said if everybody in this town plugged in their electric car at the same time to charge it, I couldn't boil me kettle. Such is the, the, the level of supply. So it's, is any wonder when we are running short of electricity supply, people think they want us to get more. Like Kevin says, you don't have to be a crack engineer to predict this. It's entirely predictable, especially as we continue to have more electric cars. It's not difficult to see this shortage coming. What a joke, says another person. Uh, they want us to get electrical cars and show we have a shortage of power. And the real extremists don't want us to even get hybrids. I was talking to someone over the weekend, a relative of mine, who, who drives a hybrid. And she said, it's a dream of a thing. Absolute dream of a thing. Throws a drop of petrol in it now and again. And for the amount of around town driving that she mostly does, like, the car just needs a sniff of petrol every so often. (laughs) But they don't want you driving them either. They want you to go, all electric. All electric. Tom says, what we've just heard in reality is our our electricity bills, which have already gone up about 50% to allow people to compete, are probably going to double so we can have a new smart grid. And that's the reality of it. 1850-715-996 your thoughts on that and anything else are welcome one third of parents in Munster believe that their children's mental health has been affected negatively by COVID-19 and almost half of them believe that it's the job of the schools to do more to help children take control that's the findings of, of an interesting survey uh, that coincides with the launch of the Tackle Your Feelings campaign. Dr. Hannah McCormick joins me. Hannah, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What is the Tackle Your Feelings campaign? 
So the Tackle Your Feelings campaign as a whole is a positive mental well-being campaign and we basically want to encourage people to be proactive when it comes to their mental health. Look at it in the same way that we potentially look at our physical health in that there are certain things that we can do, there are certain habits, there are certain exercises that we can do that will create the best version of our mental health that we can have. And this is just going to help us and obviously help the young people of Ireland, um, both now and in the future. Mm. Someone put it very well recently, I think, Hannah. They said, we take care of our heart, we take care of our lungs, we look after our kidneys, we look after our liver, we look after our skin. But we're not so keen on looking after the brain. No, there's definitely been a kind of a misconception and it's been around for a very long time that uh, mental health is something that other people have or that that a select few members of the community have but the and when we say mental health a lot of people immediately will think of actually mental illness but the, the truth of the matter is that mental health is something that we all have and our mental health can be good and it can be bad and it can be anywhere in between and if anything the last 18 months in COVID and the lockdown and the restrictions and everything that we've been through has highlighted the importance of our mental health and how looking after our mental health is really beneficial to us overall. Um, we we talk about kind of our mental well-being when we talk when we're uh, sorry from from a tackier feelings perspective. We talk about it as kind of like that holistic well-being, that overall mm. well-being. Yeah. And we see it that, you know, your well-being is the balance between the challenges that you face in life and the resources that you have to deal with those challenges. And literally COVID has been one of the most challenging experiences that the majority of us have ever faced and hopefully will ever have to face yeah. again. And if we have the right resources, I'm not saying that the challenge will go away or that COVID wouldn't have happened. But personally, if we have some really good resources, it means that it won't be as hard to deal with. And that's what we want to encourage our young people to uh, build those habits, uh, gain those resources and even maintain the resources that they may already have. To, to, to equip them, as it were, and I'll come back to that because that's mm-hmm. a key point. You equip them, you equip, equip them young, you equip them for life. But you, you mentioned that everybody has a mental health of some kind or other. And and there was a, 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 a phrase we kind of coined here on the programme and listeners used to report feeling during, particularly during the heavy element of lockdown, a bit flat. Yeah. They look out the window and go, Jesus, is this our life now? Now, you're physically well, you get yeah. on with life, you're not mm-hmm. depressed, you're not crying. Jesus, is this our Like that in itself is a very mild mental health moment. Yeah, and again, I think it's it's just kind of recognising that, you know, our mental health changes and it, those changes are really normal and they're really kind of normal reactions to the situation that we're in. The situation of COVID was we weren't allowed to go outside We weren't allowed to go further than at one stage, two kilometres from our home. We weren't allowed to see family and friends. Not only that, but every time we did leave the house, there were so many things that were an additional thought that we had to consider before we left. We had to make sure we, one, had to make that journey. Two, that when we were making the journey, we had the right things with us, uh, whether it's a face mask, whether it was hand sanitizer. All of these things and even just the, the implications to our physical health and, and rightly so, we were we were told to mind ourselves. Mm. But what all of this did, it kind of, it, it contributed to the mental load. So you think about it, in, in everyday life we have um, everyday stressors. What are we going to do for work? What are we going to do for school? 
you know, even things as simple as what are we going to eat today or what, what clothes are we going to wear? These are all things that take up a little bit of energy from us. And all of a sudden over COVID, we had all these more, like loads and loads of additional considerations and our usual outlets, which were seeing friends, um, maybe playing sport or even watching sport, which wasn't allowed until very recently. Um, the entertainment industry, obviously, that's an ongoing issue. Like all of these things that we used to get a lot of joy from, um, going on foreign holidays, going on local holidays, just even <laughs> doing anything, mm. these are all taken away. So our usual kind of outlets were removed. And a lot of the time, it wasn't, well, not even a lot of the time, the majority of the time, it wasn't our choice to do so. Yeah. If we choose to stay in, that can be a great day. If we choose that we want to have a duvet day or we want to just sit on the couch and do nothing all day, um, that's a choice that we've made. So that's something that we can actually relish in. But when it's not your choice, when it's being dictated by someone else, that can be very, as you said, it can make you feel very flat. It can make you feel very um, lethargic. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's in the uh, it's in our youth, I guess, in the, well, the next generation of youth in in the schools now, where they can learn the skills of yeah. of dealing with that moment. Because for for most of us, that moment just passes, and you get to do something that breaks the cycle. For some people, it becomes a huge problem. So it's in the schools that tackle your feelings is operating. Yes, so we've we've developed a schools program that literally helps young people kind of like I said develop these lifelong skills, uh, create certain habits, um improve their empathy and understanding when it comes to mental health and well-being, not only for themselves but for others as well. And it's um basically an eight lesson plan that any school, any secondary school in the country can adopt. Um, we have loads of resources. Uh, the main part of the program is delivered via an app. So any kind of smart device, it can be downloaded there for free. And then we provide uh, lesson plans. We provide um, additional resources. We provide information to the teachers so that they can easily run the program and they can help guide these students through um, the journey of developing all of these lifelong skills and all of these lifelong habits. Um, and just to say as well, like I actually work for Rugby Players Ireland. We're the representative body for all professional and elite level rugby players in the country. So all of the guys who are who are playing for Munster, they are our members. Mm. And um, a lot of these guys have contributed their own experiences to the programme. So they, they act as the role models. So they are, um, we have videos, we have uh, sound bites, we have little kind of quotes from our rugby playing members who help with that conversation so again they kind of help reduce that stigma because they're talking about their experiences and we're not just looking at negative experiences we're not looking at you know someone talking about when they were going through a tough time and how they dealt with that that's really important but we're also um we have a lot of our members talking about the good times and how they they hold on to the positives because this is a positive mental well-being campaign. So we want to encourage young people to live the best version of their lives, to be the best version of themselves, to develop their strengths, to look at the things that they do have that are going to contribute to their positive mental well-being. And like I said, we have so many of our um, player ambassadors uh, supporting the campaign. It's great. We actually, I know CJ is gone now, um, but he was one of our main ambassadors down in Munster who gave his experiences. And when you think of the challenges that he overcame coming into Ireland, never not speaking English and then becoming such an integral part of both Munster and Ireland um, of the setup. Like it just goes to show that we can get through these tough times 
these tough times, they're really tough when you're going through them, but they will be okay. And the more resources you have, whether it's other people, whether it's the strength in yourself, um, it will obviously just make it that little bit easier. And that's what we want. Isn't that the message that's so important to to convince people? And I know that you've got you've got um, Kira Griffin. The, the Munster yes. player and the Irish captain as part of your uh, your your plans this year and a great a great role model for young people, mm-hmm. but instilling into their mind that yeah look this is this today you feel off today you feel yeah. rotten, but mm-hmm. you know what it will be okay and not only will it be okay here's ways to help yourself make it okay. Exactly, and not only not only a case of okay, I'm having an off day. Everyone has an off day. Mm-hmm. Again, this it's a very normal part of life to to feel sad, to feel angry, to feel upset or frustrated. These are normal emotions. These are things that we all experience. And when you think of the most resilient people in the world, it's not that they never experience those things, like the likes of CJ or Kira Griffin being the captain of the women's team. She had. She came through so many injuries. She could have just sat back and said, "You know, this is this is this now." But yeah. her determination, her resilience, got her through. That doesn't mean she never let it like upset her, or it doesn't mean that she never got sad or frustrated. But um, she allowed herself to experience all of these emotions, and then came up with ways to deal with them. But not only that, we don't want to just enable people or empower people, as you said before, to deal with these situations. We also want people to almost protect themselves from these situations. So we know there's loads and loads of scientific research out there that shows that if you practice um, positive habits, then it can, um, I suppose, decrease the amount or decrease the low moments in your life. So things, something, and look, all of your listeners can do it, and it's really beneficial from teenagers right up to adults, something as simple as practicing gratitude. So um, that can be just literally taking a moment to think during your day or at the end of your day, what am I grateful for that happened today? What are the things that um, either I did or I saw or I experienced that really made me happy or made me like content and that's something that's really important as well it's not just about always feeling like this super huge amount of joy sometimes it can just being be about being content and what i always say is it doesn't have to be this huge profound thing like obviously lots of joyful things happen in our lives but sometimes it could be as simple as like the cup of tea or coffee that you had this morning um you know the Mm. the weather today not so great, but last week we had some beautiful weather around the country and like we do live in an amazing country. Um, so even though we haven't been able to go abroad, we have been able to appreciate a lot of the things that are closer to us. So all of these things are something that if you take stock of them, science has shown or research has shown mm. that it actually decreases um, depressive episodes right. and it decreases negative emotions. And not only that, but it increases positive emotions and it um, contributes to overall life satisfaction and it contributes to o- overall well-being and obviously contributes to overall happiness. Mm-hmm. Because if we're constantly thinking about the things that we don't have or the things we missed out on or the things that won't happen to us, you can, like even saying that, you're like, yeah, you can you can see how you'd become quite... I suppose, down about it. But if you think about all the good things you have, and like I said, it can be something as simple as a cup of coffee in the morning, um, you know, hearing the birds sing, whether if you're living out in the country, the view that you have, if you're living in the city, it could be the amenities that you're close to. Like these are all things to be very grateful for. And sometimes they're things that we take for granted. 
So yeah. like I said, research shows take, if you take, if you take, take joy, them, learn to take joy from, from little things. Yeah, from what we already have and yeah. what is already available okay. to us. To find out more, if anybody wants to find out more about Tackle Your Feelings, where do they go? They can go onto the website, www.tackleyourfeelings.com. Um, like I said, this is, we, I'm here to talk about the school's program or is here to, to talk about the school's launch. But Tackle Your Feelings actually exists for everyone. So there's a, um, a free app that anyone can download either um, on the Android uh, Google Play Store or through iOS and okay. the Apple App Store. So everyone can have a look. And like I said, even there's a section specifically dedicated to gratitude and it will tell you more about the importance and the benefits of it and even give you a space to record the things that you're, you're grateful for. And um, the, as I said, the campaign is run by Rugby Players Ireland, but I will have to obviously mention that it's sponsored by uh, Zurich Insurance and the Z Zurich Foundation, sure. who we are so grateful for to have um, supported us on this journey that we've Tack Your Feelings has actually been around since uh, 2016. We tried to launch the school program. Well, we did. We launched the school program in 2020 and then sure, um, all the schools closed. So that was great. Um, but look, 2020 just, had other ideas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like I said, look, we have to be grateful for the things that we do have. So yeah. we're really grateful for um, the support that Zurich and the Zed Foundation have shown us across the years. Okay. And we're obviously really grateful for all of our ambassadors. Um, Kira, like you said, um, Emer Constantine, also a proud Munster woman, um, also supported the campaign in the past. So we have loads of really, really great people supporting the campaign. Okay. Um, and all it's like I said, it's available for all secondary schools. If the school is interested, if um, any teachers or parents are listening, you can go onto the website and you can register your school as being interested in the program. Um, and you can find out more about the programme and more about the campaign on uh, tackleyourfeelings.com. Okay, good to speak with you. That's Dr. Hannah McCormack, campaign manager for Tackle Your Feelings. 1850-715-996. Thanks, Hannah. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Monday afternoon, if you're stuck at work and you want those emails to stop, you never want to see a spreadsheet again. Throw on the radio for all your favourite tunes. I've got the hottest trending stories and everything Lee side. See you from 12 on Cork's 96 we always get a few calls in September and into October about people having trouble with their Susie grants. The Susie scheme seems to work, but sometimes maybe not. Delays in getting it processed and getting people approved and getting their money and then you live here. It's, it's riddled with problems in its own right, even though when it works out, it works out well. But what if you just can't get a Susie grant through absolutely no fault of your own other than where you're from. Literally, where you're from. Um, Calf, good morning to you. Hello? Hello, Calf. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Now, now you're in your, your 20s now, yeah? I am, yeah. Good, good. So let's go through your story. You had what they called an exceptional stamp four. In yeah. your, what's that? So basically, um, obviously, there's different stamps for different reasons that are given out. And stamp fours 
are given out to people maybe that are gone through like family unification or they're given out like under certain criteria. But when there's certain circumstances where they can't figure out where to put someone and they can't they can't send them back or they just want to put them they want to give you the permission yeah. but they can't figure it doesn't fit neatly under any category I suppose we should just you're, you're, you're a migrant to Ireland so where are you from where are you from and when did you come here yeah I am from Nigeria originally but I came here in 2006 when I was 10 years old okay yeah okay so, yeah <laughs> and did you grow up in foster care here you did yeah um, I grew up and then I went into foster care when I was in my teens Right. Yeah. Okay. So you applied then to UCC after doing your leaving cert, like many more. Yeah. And what happened then? Yeah. So basically, um, like I was saying, I didn't have like a status before um, I actually got my stamp for like later in my secondary school career. And then when I did get the stamp for, I was told that well, you have this stamp for now, you're basically, you, you have the same rights as any Irish national, you should be able to go to school, off you go. So I applied for UCC, I applied for SUSE, applied for everything. And I actually, I got my place in UCC, I got my SUSE grant as well, and everything was going really, really well until three months into my course, I, I got a letter in the post saying, oh, sorry, we gave you this in error, you have the wrong stamp for, you have the wrong stamp, um, and they just took everything away from me, and then I was... Hold on, they, they gave you the grant? Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And then took it away. They did, yeah. That's exactly, and and that's kind of like what makes it even more, you know, more of a roller coaster of a journey, you know. So I got the I got the stamp for I I mean I got the Susie Grant. I was in school. I was I you know, <laughs> yeah. And then what were you studying? I was studying public health. In okay. Yeah. Okay, and three months in. Three months in, yeah. In January, um, I got a letter in the post saying, um, well. We, obviously, they were reviewing my file and um, they saw that, like, 
it says SAM4, but it's not the normal SAM4. So if you are under the exceptional SAM4, you don't you don't fulfill the criteria of getting a B degree. Oh, God. So they approved you originally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's that's the thing. Like that's kind of like the kicker, isn't it? Like I I got I I was able. It, it was kind of like um, a dangling carrot, you know. Oh, <laughs> it was God. Me, and then it was taken away just as quickly. That's incredible. Yeah. And had you any grounds of appeal or anything like that? No, not really, because um, I I tried, I tried to, I you know, I, with my social workers, with people from NASC, we tried to look into it, but just the way the regulations are set up, there is no, there there was no appealing, there was no like getting around it, oh, and um, and to be honest, like after that, I didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. Like because yeah. I mean, you're three months in college, you've settled mm-hmm. in, you're getting into a routine, you're going to your lectures, you're probably enjoying your course very much. Then this turns yeah. it all upside down. You yeah. you didn't have the money. No, I didn't. I was literally facing a seven thousand euro bill, and I don't I don't have any support. Like no family members, no savings, nothing. And it felt like my world was crashing around me, to be honest. I was 19 years old. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I'd, I'd already taken a year out before even making that, before even going into college in the first place because I needed time to sort out my status. So everyone that I went to secondary school with were already in college and I was. I felt like I'd finally caught up and then that just kind of happened and everything just came crashing down again. Yeah. And this particular pitfall of the status that you had like you never spotted that no one spotted that at no, any stage my goodness no one spotted it that's that's the that's the problem you see because um i guess people just don't have the information you know um i was told that a stamp four is a stamp four and with this stamp four you can do this you can do that you can do you know so i went in oblivious um it's right. no one's fault really like people just didn't have the information i didn't have the information either you know yeah. so so, so, um, so what did you do then? There you are, 19, devastated by this news. What did you do? Um, I kind of had to, I always knew that I wanted to go to university. I wanted to go to college. So I kind of, um, I had to think of a backup option. I had to, I had to like um, go back and like sit down. And thankfully I had loads of people around me in terms of my social workers anyway, and even people from NASC like, to give me advice. And what I did actually was do a one-year course in the court, in the court College of Commerce. Um, I did HR administration. Right. And then after that year, um, I was able to get a job as a, a legal res- receptionist and then a legal secretary after that. So I nice. worked for, for two years. Right. And then you, you went in back in. You realized then, of course, didn't you, that you could go back in and apply as, as, a, as a mature student? Yeah, but if, even when I went back as a mature student, I would still have the problem with Susie. But I, 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 I thought that um, well, if I can work for that much, I can save up for at least the first year of college, and then hopefully by the time that was done, I would be able to apply for naturalization, and then that that would kind of solve that problem for me. Right. So you you worked your way through the first two years, and when did you get your your citizenship? So I worked for two years. So I worked between 2017, uh, full-time 2017 and 2019. I went back to college. I applied for um, college in, and I got my place in Trinity um, in 2019. And so I went back in 2019 when I was 23. And um, 
yeah, and I thought that I would get my citizenship within that year. But obviously, coronavirus, um, lockdown, pandemic, all of those buzzwords, and um, everything just got held back. And it actually took two years. So I ended up paying for first year and second year all on my own. <laughs> so that was stressful. Mm-hmm. Did, would you, did you, you obviously worked on the side? Did you ever work, work yes. during? Yeah. I did. I did, I did. Which in a pandemic wasn't an easy thing to do. On its own, exactly. (laughs) Okay. You're a determined young woman, and you've got your citizenship now, so congratulations. We're we're lucky to have you. Oh, no, thank you so much. I'm delighted. But, you know, like, it's easy for me to sit here now and say thank God for everything but you know it wasn't an easy easy journey and I keep thinking about like all the young people that are oblivious to it like I was and they're coming to that realization at 16, 17, 18 years old that they can't do things just because the things that are out of their control especially when you so desperately like want to go to university when you so desperately want to go to school Especially when you're coming from migrant backgrounds like yeah. that. And the Susie talking. Grant is so important for someone like that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And there's so many people as well that just don't have that support. And, you know, like if I had the support in terms of like, you know, like a family in terms like, you know, because my family aren't here in Ireland with me. I have my sister here and then I have my foster parents. But I wouldn't have expected them to like, you know, <laughs> cough up 7,000 euros for me, you know. So especially when you don't have that, like, that's where the Susie Grant, like, comes in so handy, you know. Um, yeah. And it would it would have meant, it would have made my life a hundred times easier if I had been able to access that. Because yeah. it just felt like, I, like, even even over the years, um, people were sending me grants and stuff. And they were like, oh, look, you can apply for this and you can go to college. And I'd look at it and the criteria are like, oh, you have to be a, because if you if you have a stamp four, like exceptional stamp four or stamp three, you're neither you're not an asylum seeker, um, you're not an asylum seeker. So you're kind of like in this like limbo world. So these grants were coming in, but I look at the criteria; it's for asylum seekers. I can't apply, you know. <laughs> so it was, it was I was like locked out of so many things that it's like I nearly qualified for them, but just because of this status, I couldn't qualify. So I I, I remember thinking, oh, geez. <laughs> my life would have been easier if I if I wasn't a silent seeker, you know. Well, there's definitely, a, a, yeah, there's definitely yeah. a hole in the Susie system into which you fell. I still can't get over the fact, Gaff, and I know rules is rules. I still can't get over the fact that they gave it to you and then took it away from you. Yeah, I still um, can't get over that. Like that, they at least let you have it for a year and say, "Well, look, you're going to have to start paying up next year." Then you could have got a part time job, that kind of crack. But no, they, they, they oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> not fair at all. That's just not, no, fair. not fair at all. Listen, <laughs> fantastic to speak to you. Congratulations with your with your ongoing studies, and as I say, congratulations on your citizenship. We are lucky to have you, girl. Take Thank care. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me online as well. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Take care. That's calf eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There's the thing. They gave her the grant, and. Then, like in January, they said, "Oh, sorry, um, we I, we shouldn't have given you that." So we take it back now. She said, I'm in college. I'm sorry. We we should. What? Ah! I'm got a lovely photograph sent in to us. Blackpool Bridge, just the wall there, uh, by the river.
a fantastic photograph of what looks like a kingfisher. I thought it was a heron, but it is a kingfisher. And thanks to Patricia, who sent that in. It's up on, I think, have we shared it yet? That's because we haven't, we should. Beautiful photograph taken at Blackpool Bridge this morning. This massive kingfisher. Obviously, scouting in the river for his breakfast. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Good Room presents Cork Family Trio Greenshine playing in O'Mahony's Watergrass Hill next Wednesday, September 1st. The group have just released a series of catchy pandemic singles charting their journey over the last year and you can catch them in O'Mahony's with tickets on sale now from uticket.ie Access all areas the Seattle Grunge Experience is the only tribute act to authentically recreate the live sound of the four biggest grunge bands in history. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains all come to Cypress Avenue on Saturday, October 9th with tickets on sale now. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Miriam O'Callaghan here. Please take part in Beauty's Big Coffee Morning Social for Hospice on Thursday the 23rd of September and support your local hospice. To host a socially distanced or virtual coffee morning with close family and friends, just call 1890-998-995 or register online at hospicecoffeemorning.ie. 169 grand. <laughs> This June, somebody won €169,000 when they picked up a Euromillions ticket in Mallow. It really does pay to shop local. The National Lottery. (laughs) It could be you. Play responsibly, in-store, in-app or at lottery.ie. You spent all weekend sewing names into clothes, backing textbooks with wallpaper and making a month's worth of packed lunches. And as you mentally prepare for algebra homework, you spot another problem. There's nothing for dinner. You could use Pythagoras' theorem to figure out how to get all your groceries. Or you could get your full weekly Lidl shop delivered in as little as one hour to the comfort of your kitchen-turned-study hall with Buy Me. Search B-U-Y-M-I-E wherever you get your apps and enjoy your first delivery on us today. Minimum spend 30 euro delivery charges apply selected delivery areas only this past year your home has been your workplace gym even a classroom so fall in love with your home again with the harvey norman autumn home event with up to 40 percent off wardrobes irish made mattresses from just 129 and up to 50 percent off irish made duvets and pillows we've got just what you need to update your interiors today Shop the Harvey Norman Autumn Home Event online or safely in our spacious stores. But hurry, must end soon. Go! Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now, I didn't know such a thing exists, but there is such a thing as International Overdose Day, and that is tomorrow, the 31st of August. It's been marked now for a number of years. Um, and I have some statistics in front of me, which they're worrying, to say the very least. Uh, 2017 are the most up-to-date figures I've got. But in 2017, 376 people died from poisoning stroke overdose. 
the median age of those people was 43. 70% of them were men. Alcohol and benzodiazepines were among the most common causes. Methadone was also part of the problem. Diazepam, huge part of the problem. Cocaine was also up that year. There were 42 uh, in, in, in 2017. But to mark International Overdose Day, I'm joined by Emily Schilling from Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Emily, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. I've spoken to your group before um, because you're very driven by the harm reduction model in that, look, people are going to take drugs. We mightn't want them to, but they're going to. So we need to help them to do it safely. Yeah. So look, we've tried for years and years and years, not just students for sensible drug policy, but I mean, in general, in the world, we have tried to stop people from taking drugs and it's clearly not working. So these students for sensible drug policy, you're right, PJ, uh, would advocate more for providing information that can allow people to make informed decisions and maybe make them a little bit more safely. Mm. Like things like, for example, in in the case of heroin, uh, injecting rooms, proper safe places to go so that they're not going down alleyways and injecting themselves and don't know what they're doing and, and... accidental overdose and all of that but benzodiazepines in particular I mean that's a, that's a prescription drug so so what does it tell you about the way we currently deal with, with, with these things it isn't working is it? It's definitely not working TJ and Are you on speaker honest, by the way Emily? Just I'm actually not, would you rather I go on speakerphone? No no, no that's better stay where you are, okay. it, 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 there's, there's an echo where you are, that's crying that's all. Oh okay. yeah, you're grand um I can't just, yeah, I can't actually. No, it's fine. Not a, not a bother. Not, not, okay. not, not, not a bother. Not a bother at all. Um, but do we, do we do have to accept, don't we, Emily, that this, this, this idea that, oh, just don't do it, that's gone, that failed many years ago? It doesn't work. I don't think it's ever worked, PJ, and I don't think that it ever will. Um, so my point of view on this, obviously, is very personal to myself and also very specific to the student perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just in my experience, like as a young teen, uh, kind of the people around me, the people I knew, they started taking drugs from really early ages. Most of them around 14, 15, but some as young as 13. And we never got any information about how to stay safe in school. Mm. None at all. Mm. All you were ever told was don't do it. Yeah, so I mean, we were lucky enough now to have a couple of pages here and there in the senior cycle SPHE book saying, you know, drugs are bad, don't do them, these are the bad things that'll happen. But uh, PJ, the real actual harm reduction information that I learned was taught to me by older kids. Yeah. So in my little communities and in my little friend groups, older teens, and they were still kids as well, most of them were under or just turning 18, they had to learn about harm reduction, not from school, not from parents, not from teachers, but through overdosing and from spending nights at the A&E and from spending nights at the Garda station, 
through developing substance use disorders and long-term health issues. And it was all unnecessary, PJ. And those older kids, if they had had someone to teach them how to stay safe, I can't say none of it would have happened, but I am certain that a lot of them would have had a better childhood. Mm-hmm. So I am really grateful to those older teens because they genuinely are the only reason that some of my friends are still alive today. They really took care of us where the government, the media and the education system failed to. Yeah, yeah. You've got an event tomorrow to mark the day. Yep, we do. So it's being hosted by Students for Sensible Drug Policy ERA, that's the Irish branch. There are more than 300 chapters all around the world and there's more added every day. So this year for International Overdose Awareness Day, we have two goals. So uh, one of them is we want to give just the general public an opportunity to publicly mourn for loved ones in a safe environment. And for a lot of people attending, this might be the first time that they are able to mourn without feeling guilt or shame. So we really want it to be a space of healing to commemorate those 376 lives that were lost. Uh, But we also want it to be an educational event. So we will have a really amazing guest speaker sharing his experience with overdose. And we will also be sharing kind of signs of overdose, what to do if you see it, Mm. where to go, um, this basic harm reduction really that is easy to remember but we aren't being given it in school and we need it to save lives mm. Lastly and by the way this is not a question I'd ask myself because I got the answer to this years ago but people would ask the question uh, Emily why would we help you to break the law? Right so I, we get that a lot at the SSTP and I think that there is a misunderstanding that we encourage drug use. Um, But actually what we mean by sensible drug policy is we have to recognise the reality of it is people will break the law, people will take the drugs. No matter how hard we prosecute these people, they will continue to break the law if we're not giving them help. And, you know, it's well and good arresting people and putting them in jail for taking drugs or for drug use, but the core issues are not being addressed. Core issues like a lack of community support, a lack of financial aid, financial instability, housing insecurity, job insecurity, all of that. So we don't want to help anyone break the law. We want to prevent them from breaking the law by supporting them in the way they need support. Um, Because really when you're making drugs illegal or you're trying to prevent people from taking them, all you're doing is making them do it in a more dangerous way where the money they spend goes to criminal gangs and the litter left behind afterwards affects everyone. So even if people think they're unaffected by this, even if they don't know anyone who's overdosed, it does affect every single person in some way and we never think about it unless it's close to home. What time is your event on tomorrow? The event will be on at 11am. It'll be outside the old red brick courthouse on Anglesey Street. And people are invited to wear purple. That's the colour for this year, just so we can keep a theme going. 
and we will have candles there. So we'll have 376 candles for people to light if they want to light one at the event for a loved one or take it home and light it in their honour. Okay. Okay. Well, good luck with that tomorrow and good luck with marking uh, International Overdose Day. Emily Schilling from Students for Sensible Drug Policy Era. 1850-715-996. There is a housing protest uh, planned for the north side of the city this afternoon. Uh, Solidarity TD McBarry joins me. Mick, good morning. Good morning to you, PJ. Mick, Mick, this is I, this is just, I, I've been banging this drum myself for years, and I thought, and many people would have thought that all of those council apartments and flats that were empty had been renovated and reallocated, but that is not the case. No, it's not the case. Uh, more than four hundred council um, uh, properties currently vacant, um, and the protest is taking place this afternoon. Uh, at Madden's Buildings in Blackpool, which I'm sure you know well. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, one in ten uh, of the houses down there uh, currently uh, vacant. Why? Uh, and this is the... Well, it's a question really for uh, the City Hall, um, uh, Cork County Council, um, uh, what's being done about this. Uh, we're in um, uh, the biggest housing crisis in the history of the state. Over the weekend, we heard that there's now... Um, 413 uh, homeless people in Cork City and uh, County and there's no excuses for this anymore um, uh, this needs to be uh, sorted out and the, the, the protest this afternoon is to highlight the issue uh, and to demand action on the issue Now, now of those 400 uh, places that are presently vacant how many of them are immediately livable because straight away you'll be told well health and safety would have to be checked out and all that yeah, I, I, I don't have the figures. Um, I know that there's more than 400 uh, uh, currently vacant. Uh, I remember when I was on the council, uh, it used to be divided into um, uh, jobs that could be done relatively quickly, uh, jobs that would need a bit more work and jobs that would need massive surgery, so to speak. Um, but the, the current, I do know that the current, from talking to um, my colleague, Councillor Fiona Ryan, that the current average turnaround time which is from the day that the house becomes vacant to the day that the new tenant takes up the tenancy, Mm. is 49 weeks. And 49 weeks, effectively a full year, in a housing crisis is is just completely unacceptable. So in other words, if I vacate my place, say Madden's Buildings or any any place else, I turn the key, put on my my hat and coat, go out the door, turn the key, place is perfect. It'll be a year before it's reallocated. Or can be. (laughs) You would imagine if the place was per- perfect that it might be uh, a little bit less than that. 49 weeks is the average, okay? Um, so some is, is, is some is less, uh, some is around that, and some is more than that. But for the average turnaround time to effectively be a year in the middle of a housing crisis, uh, to me is unacceptable, and I'm sure to other people are unacceptable. And I think one of the points that we want to make today uh, is this, that... Um, I don't think people have faith in the government to sort this problem. I don't think people have faith in the council to sort this problem. Uh, What needs to be brought to bear here is people power. We had huge numbers of people on the streets a few years ago on the issue of the water charges, and we made progress as a result of that. That's what's going to need to be done now as we hopefully begin to move out of covid into, uh, I won't say a normal situation, but a more normal situation over the next 
month, um, we need to see the beginnings of a massive protest campaign on the streets on the housing issue. Okay. And hopefully little protests like the one today can point in that direction. OK, and we'll catch up with you again. I have no doubt on that and other matters. Mick, thank you very much. That's Mick Barry, TD, Solidarity Chief for Cork North Central that protested at Madden's buildings this afternoon. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Mm, message there about the Cork City Centre over the weekend. I'd love to get that person on the radio, but maybe they don't want to. But uh, I'll, I'll read it in a minute. Not, not a pleasant read. If you're in around the city over the weekend. <laughs> Mags says that the youngsters are not even back in the school a couple of hours and the parents WhatsApp. <laughs> oh, I love it. Do you know these WhatsApp groups? Like everyone's got them. Sometimes only three or four in them. But sometimes you've got maybe 20 parents in a class or 30 parents in a class or there could be 30 people in a club or whatever. Wouldn't they drive you mad after a while too, wouldn't they? You know. Oh Tom, thank you so much for that idea. No, Mary, it was your idea, your idea in the first place. I'm only active on your wisdom. Oh thank you, Tom. Oh thank you, Mary. Oh Mary and Tom, thank you so much for the wonderful idea. Mary, Tom and Tony, you really are works. Shut up! Yeah, those go they drive you crazy, those groups. Have to be in those these days, don't you? 1850 I will read those, that message about the city centre in a little while. Trust me, it's not a good report. If this was a TripAdvisor report on the state of the city centre over the weekend, you wouldn't be inclined to go there next weekend, put it that way. But I want to talk for a little while about chronic pain and a sufferer of chronic pain and an art trail uh, based on life with chronic pain pain around Cork. The person in question is Kira Chapman. Kira, good morning to you. Good morning. How are Talk, you, PJ? I'm very well, thank you. Talk to me about uh, chronic pain. Chronic pain, I understand, is a relatively constant pain, as in it never actually goes away, it's just under control. Is that correct? Yeah, um, for me it's chronic sciatica. I, am, I have kind of chronic nerve pain. Right. So it goes through my back and down my leg. But um, for different people, it's different things. Sometimes it can be from an accident or some people just have it all their lives. Mm. So um, you just try different things and different things work at different points in your life. Like, have I the definition correct? As in, like, are you in pain as we speak now? Yeah, so it's quite, um, some people don't like the term chronic pain because it's a very blanket term. But um, it is what it is. You know, it is constant pain. So... You can lie a certain way or you can try different treatments and things and they can keep it keep it at bay, as you said. Mm. But um, it never really goes away. Even in your sleep, you feel it. Right. So um, there's just no kind of relief, proper relief from it. Mm. And um, yours is from sciatica, which is the infl- inflammation of the sciatic nerve. No, many, many people get a bout of sciatica, young and old, and it's damn painful. But it goes away. Yeah, Yours doesn't. Exactly. 
yeah, I fell down the stairs and whatever way I fell, the disc, one of my discs in my back compressed and it just constantly presses off my sciatic nerve. So um, after a few years, um, that can really weigh around a nerve. So I kind of started to lose a lot of the feeling, the function in my left leg as a result. Okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it just, now you do kind of adapt to pain too. So it's not um, like a really extreme um, sciatic kind of bout. I wouldn't have that constantly. Right. But I do have, um, sometimes it's worse and sometimes it's better, but it is, it's just fairly constant. Right. And how many people do we know suffer from an element of chronic pain in their lives around the country? I think it's, um, I think it's one in five maybe. Crikey. For me, I would consider chronic pain not just physical pain, but say someone who's in constant maybe emotional pain or yeah. has constant mental pain. So I would consider all of that chronic pain. Yeah. Um, yeah sorry. And no, I guess if you are in constant physical pain of some level or another, it, it must cause mental problems too. Yeah, straight, you, you should really be told from when your pain starts to start treating your mind because for me I didn't and um, I think it was maybe eight or nine months after, into having a sciatica, a chronic sciatica that I started to get quite depressed nice. and a lot of the time when you are depressed you don't realise that's what's happening because you have an idea in your mind of what depression is but um, I just couldn't talk without crying or um, everything just I tried my best to manage my emotions but it was constant. I constantly had to manage them. Right. So, um, and then you don't want to talk to your friends about it because you feel like that's all I talk about. Yeah. And you don't talk to your family about it because you don't want to worry them. So, um, it can be really, really good to have an outlet. You end up bottling an awful lot up. Exactly. Or if you join kind of a forum sometimes, um, any forum, um, sometimes it gets a little bit it's a bit too much. It brings you down a little too much. But at times it can really kind of help you with kind of trying new things or maybe you'll just get on particularly well with someone in it and um, you can kind of help each other through. Yeah. You you wrote a book about your, your, your life with chronic pain called My Chronic Pain Diary. Yeah, so it's an illustrated diary um, because I both communicate through pictures. Yeah. So... Um, I started illustrating um, kind of moments in time on my journey when I felt particularly vulnerable or angry or upset or happy. And um, last year I kind of reached about 100 of those illustrations and I decided I wanted to put it into a printed book. Right. Because if you're in constant pain, it can be very hard to read, like read for an extended period of time. So flicking through a book with pictures can help and it can also help people kind of who have loved ones in pain they get a little bit of a better understanding I think from it. Good. Okay. So talk to me now about this art trail. Yeah so it was um, a project that was sponsored by the Arts Council's Art and Disability Connect New Work Award and that's from Art and Disability Ireland. So it was a three-part project and the book is the first part and um, the second part is an exhibition in Cork Printmakers and the third part is the art trail. And they're all kind of in September because September is Chronic Pain Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So 15 shops very kindly let me use their windows and I just have lots and lots of artwork from the diary in all the windows. And some of it's um, embroidery and some is origami. It's all kind of things to, I suppose, I use to keep me busy in the last few years. But um, I just had so much of it. Mm. And um, it's that, yeah, so it's a nice little trail that goes throughout the city. And I just kind of wanted to brighten things up a bit in September um, and highlight chronic pain because I feel like if children grow up with a knowledge of chronic pain, um, it won't be such a stigma for people Mm -hmm. in 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so that that was the idea of the Star Trail. And what's the connection with white rabbits? Oh, um, I kind of felt like I fell down the rabbit hole. So um, it was I just kind of really had a connection with Alice in Wonderland, and the girl in a lot of my illustrations is very like Alice. So I, uh, when I was particularly kind of low, my husband suggested we get a pet, and we went into the pet shop and. There was my white rabbit. <laughs> so um, now I have a little um, billboard trail or I'll have a billboard campaign for the month and it's follow the white rabbit around the city. So um, I have little white rabbits that just pop up everywhere in all the windows. Cool. Um, just to send you in the right direction, I suppose. Really cool. Okay. And that goes, the, the trail goes live on the 5th of September. Is that right? Yeah, that's when the launch is. The okay. launch is on Sunday. And um, there's going to be tours. Eva Claffey, the project coordinator who's been coordinating all the windows with me, she'll be taking people on a tour, a short tour or a long tour. And because of COVID, people just have to book the tour. So it's all through my website, mychronicpaindiary.com. Sure, sure. And there's a QR code and you can exactly. see there's everything. Exactly, there's QR codes in the windows. So anyone with... Um, site difficulties, it'll send them to a SoundCloud document that will describe exactly what's in the window audibly. Super. So, um, yeah, and it's in shop windows too because that's accessible to everyone. You can stay in your car and go from window to window. Great, great. Good good luck with it for sure. Thank you so much, PJ. Great great idea. That's uh, Kira Chapman. Uh, My Chronic Pain Diary is her book um, and her art trail goes up from next weekend at the Cork Printmakers Courtyard and shops and premises around town. Look out for the white white rabbits. Um, Bernie says, I don't have chronic pain, but I was born with weak muscles on one side. You're living with it all the time. People just can't see it. They're very unwilling to accept that you just don't have the mobility and you get a kind of a what's wrong with her attitude. It's very wearying, and I feel very sorry for that lady. Now, let's do that message that came in as regards Cork City and continental Cork City. And it was a beautiful weekend to be out and about. Lovely weekend for a, a pint in the open air and a bite of grub. A really lovely idea. Um, so we get this message this morning. I was in town over the weekend and I was looking forward to the new setup in the city centre after all the talk. Well, the stink of urine everywhere was absolutely nauseating. And those slabs of stone that are around the place for you to sit down on. Filthy. And when we went to sit down on one, I nearly got sick. We went down to where the new robot tree is And then because we thought being new and being the pride and joy, it might be in nice, good order. 
but it was stinking of pee as well. The city is disgusting. And me and my friends won't be going in there again. In fact, Fiona's saying some friends of hers were out Saturday night and were telling her that the streets were covered in wee and that it was really disgusting. Go to the toilet. Find a flipping toilet. Of course, there weren't enough bins. There's probably not enough toilets. But the stink of wee around town at night time has come to our attention more than once, particularly down narrow streets where they may have pedestrianised it, which is great to see. But the little alleyways, they don't, you know, no, that's unfortunate now. That person who contacted us to say they won't be going back in again. The stink of wee in the town will put you off coming in. Sad situation. Can we just the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Here's the thing you know about the smell of we in the city centre. Like, there is no excuse for it. Because... If you're in a pub or drinking outside the pub or inside the pub with your pass, there's a toilet in the pub. And if you're in a restaurant or eating outside a restaurant, there's a toilet in the restaurant. So there is no need for rivers of wee down 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 Washington Street or, or, or anywhere else. Well, that's what we seem to be hearing about. 1850-715-996. Now, the Hope Foundation has a fundraiser coming up at Photo House uh, this coming weekend, catch up with Mary Morish. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are we? Good. It's an antique road show and a Punch and Judy show all rolled into one. Tell me more. It is indeed. Well, I'll tell you, what we're doing is we're delighted to be back fundraising again and we'd really like to thank Photo House for giving us exclusive use of Bill Meadow for the day. So what we're going to do first and foremost is have a Punch and Judy show with the fantastic hand puppets. And we'll also be doing some storytelling. And then for the adults, later on in the afternoon, we're going to be having an antiques jewellery on vinyl roadshow. So there's going to be an opportunity there to meet experts like Tom Woodward from Woodward's Antiques and Fine Arts, John Byrne from Alterville Vinyl Expert, and John Neville of Neville Jewellers. So the experts will be on hand to lend their advice on any special items that you might like to bring to their attention. Mm, a vinyl expert? A vinyl expert. Well, vinyls, 45s. Even CDs that are over 40 oh, years records. old. That yeah, kind of vinyl. Exactly. Ooh, that you got vinyl. me hooked in now. <laughs> so to be fair to John, he's an absolute expert in all things music. So for all those people with their records, their CDs, bring them down and John will be able to, you mm. know, pass on his wisdom to you. And his Tom, Tom Woodward would be no slouch in the record department either, I can tell you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we're very, very lucky. And can I just say that Tom and the two Johns are all giving up their time for free as well. So we're exceptionally grateful for them for their okay. support. And uh, John Neville of Neville Jr. So it's a case of bring whatever you've got and we'll take a look at it. You know what? Bring what you have. We'll bring, um, bring it down to Bell Meadow, down in Fota. The tickets are available online at hopeshop.ie. And obviously there's going to be uh, social distancing and restrictions in place. So the places are limited. And bring them down and have, we'll have a look and they can advise you. 
Yeah. Now, there won't be any written valuations on the day, but they will be able to point you in the right direction. Great. How difficult has it been not to be able to fundraise in the middle of this? I know we were, t- we were talking to your opposite numbers over in, in Calcutta during the Indian surge with, with Delta. I don't know how the situation is out there now. It was, te- it was desperate at the time, but it fundraising was, was difficult. Oh, fundraising has been, you know, unbelievably hard for the last year and a half. And I suppose all charities can say the same, to be fair. Now, we're very, very lucky in the Hope Foundation that we have a great base of supporters and people have been very, very kind. But when you think of it, we still have our 60 projects over in Kolkata, but we also had to put an awful lot of support in behind our Hope Hospital and we're also doing the COVID vaccines for the undocumented over there as well at the moment. So there's an awful lot of additional costs that we hadn't anticipated and we haven't been fundraising. But for example, this week now, down the 5th of September, we have our events down at Photo House and then we have the Hope Foundation lunch in Mary Burr House on the 14th of October. So fundraising is starting up again and I can tell you we're just very, very excited to, get to see everybody because, you know, we have missed all our supporters. We're talking to one of the doctors that works with you over in Kolkata now during the, 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 what we, the Delta variant that is now such a huge part of all of our lives. We saw exactly. horrib- horrible, heartbreaking scenes from in- India. How are things now? You know, um, well, they're still in partial lockdown there. So it's, now it's a lot better. But, you know, when you think that you're still, they still have so many streets connected and some dwelling children and families so it's very, very hard for them to, you know, get access. So what we're doing is that, you know, our ambulance goes out every night, our street team goes out every night to try and support them. As I say, the actual huge wave has died down a bit and um, it's in that respect, things are easier, do you know what I mean? Mm. But when there was a lockdown in the city, so many of um, the transient workers couldn't work. Yeah. So at the time, we were also handing out emergency supplies and sanitary packs to those people as well because they just couldn't work. And of course the big big problem with something as transmissible as Delta is the way so many millions of people live in India. You can't possibly keep transmission down. You you can't. When you think of it, PJ, you can't social distance there. Do you know what I mean? Like when you think of it, Kolkata is the size of Dublin but 5 million people, or 15 million people live there and 5 million of those live in the streets. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's absolutely, it's a really, really packed in city, you know. Yeah, you'd, you'd so, use, I mean, people sometimes wonder, like, where I'm sitting here is a decent-sized room, Stoke Studio, where uh, you could have nine, ten people living in that space. Oh, exactly, You can't you know? possibly keep infection down there. Um, well, as well, like, you know, put it this way, when you go out there, you can wash your hands, you can, you know... Yeah. You have access to sanitary equipment. An awful lot of people on, you know, wouldn't have that to hand over in Kolkata at the moment. So, you know, it is very, very hard to keep infections down. So, as I say, uh, we are going out and we are um, providing uh, vaccines to the undocumented in Kolkata as well at the moment. And um, it's going well. So if anybody would like to support that, they can go to the hopefoundation.ie as well. Okay, and good luck with the event on Sunday at uh, Photo House and hopeshop.ie is where you'll find the tickets and the details. That'll be a good one. That'll be a good one. Um, Tom Woodward and John Bourne and John Neville. Uh, John, John, John Bourne is the vinyl expert, but uh, old Tom Woodward, um, uh, was it Diamond White Diamond Discos back in the day? <laughs> Jim Hi, he says. PJ says find a toilet. Please ask him to tell us where there is a public toilet anywhere in the city. Well, yeah, we're a bit short 
on public toilets. But what I'm getting at, Jim, is every pub that people are drinking in has a toilet in it. Every restaurant that people are eating in or outside has a toilet in it. So does, are, there, are there that many people just wandering the streets, not eating and not drinking? Do you know? If you walk around after a meal, etc., and the walking makes you... Yeah, I know. There's, look, there's not enough public toilets. We know that. We know that. There's not enough public toilets. This is true. 18, but, but, but at the same time, the reports were getting about the stink-a-wee in the middle of town on a Saturday night, on a warm Saturday night at the end of August. Ugh, it's not on. Quick mention, today is the 30th of August, as you know. On August 30th of 1841, the Irish Examiner went to press for the very first time. So they're 180 years old today, uh, the Irish Examiner. Uh, de paper. Would it always be de paper? If you ask someone in Cork to buy you de paper, you'll get de paper. You won't get any other paper except de paper. The Examiner, 180 years old today. Uh, they had a lovely supplement actually on Saturday with uh, headlines and front pages from way back the years uh, commemorating the event uh, that's mentioned there on Twitter. There's a fabulous slideshow on Twitter and there's a website and all that. But uh, yeah, congratulations to our friends at the Examiner on 180 years. Now, some of them are there since day one. Uh, leave it to you to figure out who they are. Leave it to themselves to figure out who they are. <laughs> but yeah, 180 today. 1850-715-996. This one for the women. Have your feet changed in lockdown. And what I mean by that is if someone rang you up and said, come here Friday, after work, night out heels required. Now, you know me in high heels. I don't know why any woman would torture herself into high heels. And don't be bringing up heel appeals now we've been through that. I don't know why anybody would force themselves into high heels and then Wear a big smile on their face in there and join themselves. But on a serious note, women putting heels on for the first time since lockdown are actually finding excruciatingly painful. I read a piece in the, in the mail the last few days where a podiatrist was recommending exercises going under the wonderful name as toga and was explaining that one of the reasons that getting back into your heels or your stilettos will hurt you is because when your feet have flattened out quite naturally from being in flat shoes and slippers and flip-flops and crocs and whatever over the last 12 or 18 months. Uh, Aoife, she's on three? Okay, guys, just switch that back there. That's Aoife Russell uh, is with the Cook Street Chiropody Centre. Aoife, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, I've always said I don't understand why any woman would torture herself ramming her feet into shoes that just don't that, that just don't look like they. <laughs> but they do, and and they look great when they do. But have you noticed that, like women who stop wearing heels because there's no reason to wear them during lockdown now can't get back into them? Oh, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. We've all been, um, yeah, we've all done it over the lockdown. We've gotten into things like slippers and flip-flops and everything, so now that we're trying to get back into the heels again, it is a bit, it's proving a bit difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Now, does that not tell you something, you're being the chiropodist, oh. does that not tell you something that maybe your feet weren't designed for these things anyway? 
Well, well, we kind of know that, but yeah, <laughs> all, all in the name of beauty, you know. They, they look good. Yeah. yeah. What has been happening to people's feet? Well, basically, like, there's 26 bones in the, in the foot, 30 joints, more than 100 muscles and tendons, ligaments. So they all work together to provide support and so on. So we'd say when you go into, like, anything flat or whatever, your foot naturally just adapts to being like that, you know. Um, and then we're trying to get back into the heels again, and that's where the trouble starts. Yeah. You know? This, this, the structure of the shoes we wear, obviously, if you wear them long term, your, your feet do adapt to them. Like you said, how many, how many bones did you say again? 26. 26 bones. 26. And, they're tiny, yeah, and they're tiny. Oh, absolutely. And joints and muscles, tendons, ligaments. I mean, so we'd say it can happen after months and months of working at home, barefoot, like the ligaments will stretch out, the arches will begin to fall. So putting on anything with a heel can just be a pain. Um, so it's just about the getting back into it again, just gradually and not going into the six-inch heel straight away. And because you know? we've had quite a nice summer, uh, mm. but people have spent a lot of time in, in flip-flops and sandals as well. Well, that's it too, yeah. And then they're coming in with things like plantar fasciitis, tendonitis, metatarphalgia, just lots and lots of different problems, you know. Mm. And at the end of the day, it just amounts to the one thing, it just hurts. Oh, I got plantar plant fasciitis myself and I wouldn't wish it yeah. on my worst enemy. It took me no, no. six months to shift it. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible one. It's nasty, yeah, yeah. Very nasty. And there are a couple of different ones like that. But we say, like, the first thing to maybe do is go into something like, if you're coming from barefoot, we say, or flip-flops, even a runner. Just get used to the runners again, or even a loafer or something low. doesn't mm. have to be high. And then eventually go into like a wedge, maybe inch, two inches, and just build yourself up that yeah. way, you know. So you yeah. won't be getting the pains on the front of the leg and pains in the back and pains in your knee, hip, yeah. the whole lot, you know, because it's all related. Of course, the muscles have changed as well. The muscles in your, in your, in your calves and the muscles in your oh. legs, they've changed. So you can do exercises to strengthen up your feet again. Oh, absolutely. And even something like walking up and down the stairs a couple of times more than you normally would just to keep the pull, you know, to mm. to try to kind of strengthen the muscles at the back and that, you know. But we're all pretty much in the same boat just starting yeah. afresh, you know. Men men and women, I think we, we, we sometimes forget, like you said, all those bones and all that muscle yeah. in, in, and, and the fact that they're taking your weight all the mm. time. We don't mm. realise it, but you're, they're the, probably the hardest working part of your body. Your feet have to carry everything. Well, they do. Essentially, what it will be like would be it's like the foundation of a house. They have to be correct, otherwise the walls will crack, the roof eventually will come in kind of thing. So when people come in sometimes, let's say, with kind of knee trouble, hip, back, neck even, it can, you can nearly bring it all back down to the feet and just make sure that if they're okay at the base, that everything will sit properly on top, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if your feet are offline or, or, or unbalanced, yeah. that will throw you up along, no problem. It will. Now, it'll take a while to work its way up. You'd often see people there, we'd say, with like, obviously, my hip is at me or whatever. And it could just simply be that they need insoles, you know, orthotic insoles or something like that, just to kind of realign things out. Yeah. Um, so are there exercises that, that we can... I remember when I had the, 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 the PF, a pal of mine who used to do some mass, massage on my feet and on my, on my calves, mm-hmm. he advised me to stand at the edge of the hearth and do little yes. lifts yeah, and to strengthen up the muscles. And would you advise yes. things like that? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, or even the likes of simply going back to the internet again, even looking up things like different types of exercises, whatever. Simple, the simple one of all is even up and down the stairs, just pulling and stretching, you know, mm. um, while wearing something like a wedge or a, a nice kind of supportive runner or, you know, um, and maybe just try to come back out of the sandals now and the flip-flops again, you know. Um, 
but we will. We'll get back there. We'll, we'll get back into the heels again. We won't give up. <laughs> I leave the we heels to the women now, we to be honest. <laughs> I got myself into them a couple of times for a thing called the heel appeal and yeah. I don't know how or why anybody would ever bother, but then again, there you go. Mm. Yeah, and in, in general, in, in general, would not, are, you, are you busy in the in the cropity business? I mean, are people's feet a bit of a mess after the after the lockdown? Oh, they are because people initially were afraid to kind of come back in. Now we were open all the time with lockdown anyway, as such. Um, but it would obviously have been quieter. You know, people were afraid to come out and that. Um, yeah, and people are just kind of returning to normal again as best they can. Um, you know, making their appointments, um, getting their jobs done, and that. You know, so things are returning to normal. Um, which is great to see. Just great to see town being as busy and people yeah. sitting out. And, yeah. you know, it, it's just amazing to see the difference from a year ago, whatever, when everything was just so quiet and dull and black. And yeah. you can just see people kind of getting out there again, just being happy and, you know, returning great. to some form of normality even. Great, great to see it. And hopefully more to come. We'll find out more about that in the next two days. That's Eva Russell from the Cook Street Chiropody Centre. Little exercises you can do for your feet. That one years ago was when I, and I had no, it was when I had the planter. Fascia said, one of the bloody most painful things you ever had. Stand at the edge of the hearth, right? Around the fireplace. And that's an inch or two up. And just stand on the balls of your feet and just lift yourself up and down off your heels and try and do it ten times. And then try and do it ten more times. And that'll strengthen up all the muscles in your feet. I'm not 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 going on heels anytime soon, but definitely painful feet are an awful thing to have 1850 for over a year says this message for over a year pubs have been selling takeaway pints and people have been allowed by Gardaí to drink them on the streets of our city which is against the law where do you think people are going to pee yeah look I get it there's not enough public toilets I get it but at the same time are we not supposed to point out that people are now not coming into town because the place stinks like an open-air jacks at parts of it uh, at night time? Stinks like an open-air toilet? Are, are we not supposed to point that out? 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Tell us about this uh, legend of a daughter of yours. Yes, so she's doing political science in UCC and she applied for and was accepted to do an internship in New York starting in January. So she'll be working for the Senate, the US government. Oh, that's fantastic. That's very exciting. You don't know you're going to have half a cork in JFK Airport going, listen, I know it's Alicia Sinead. Yeah. <laughs> <That's laughs> she walks her bike. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96 FM. It is great to see a little bit of theatre getting back going and uh, new shows opening and selling out and to sell out your brand new show is such an achievement for any uh, performer and indeed writer. Uh, Jess, Jess Lean, good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. And of course, known to some of our Sunday morning listeners as well <laughs> here on Cork's 96 FM. This looks like a great show. Waiting for Wi-Fi. We were talking earlier this morning about the possibility of power cuts in the wintertime due to a shortage of electricity in the system. This would be Maggie's worst nightmare, wouldn't it? It would indeed, yeah. She relies completely on her online existence, so it's it's what goes wrong in the play, and it's the problem she faces. So, yeah, yeah. it's her biggest nightmare. So it's a one-woman show about a woman who pretends to be travelling the world. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Um, well, so I went to the Gaiety uh, years ago in Dublin to train in acting, and one of the classes we had was called Manifesto, and we were given prompts where we had to go and write like a five minute piece and then perform it in front of our peers the next day. So we were told to take a snippet out of a newspaper or like an old article on the internet or something. And I came across a story about a girl who wanted to see how long she could fool her family. And she stayed up in her bedroom and she just, you know, manipulated photographs and different things like that with whatever software she had to make it look like she was scuba diving and, you know, in different countries, interrailing and whatnot. And I just found it fascinating. And she was purely doing it, I think, for the last. But it just, it was something that inspired the start of things like this. And then I had another prompt of uh, musty clothes was the two words. And it was about a treasure chest full of old clothes and like someone putting on all these different outfits and becoming all these different characters because they had no no one else in the world so they became their own friend through all these different characters and I, I kind of merged the two and what happened was this this kind of came about because I love the physical comedy of like Robin Williams and Jim Carrey and mm. that's what I grew up really really liking and I found for myself as um, a female actor there was few to little parts where I could completely lose myself like that on stage and just you know where it wasn't it wasn't about I don't know, image and other things like that. And I just wanted to just lose myself, I suppose, in a role and, yeah, go mad on stage, have a bit of fun with physicality and comedy mm. in the way that they do. So that's that's kind of what happened. And then obviously there's a lot of undertones with like mental health and yeah. other issues. Like because that the premise here, isn't yeah. it, that she went, like everybody else, we were in lockdown and she mm-hmm. went into lockdown and then developed agoraphobia, which is a fear of going out. So she decides to set up a whole fantasy from within her bedroom on Borley Manor Road. Mm-hmm, exactly. So she, this is set, this play is set in 2023, so we're three years later, and the world has moved on, but Maggie is still stuck in her comfort zone, which is just that online presence. And it is it is a little bit of a, I suppose, a magnifying factor, a comment on, you know, the different versions of ourselves we put out there. Like, I'm, I'm guilty of it, as everyone is, putting the best photos of ourselves up on Instagram and, you know, filters and all those things to make it look like our lives are great. And then you know, we might be doing that from an empty, quiet room with no one around and then mm. we put the phone away and that's the stark reality. So it was a bit of that as well. So it, originally the show was written pre-lockdown in 2018, the first 25 minutes of it. So I did have a little bit of a think about how I could adapt it to make it suit this mm. new world. So, yeah, that was the decision I came to for it. Is it comedy or what is it, Jess? It's dark comedy, so it's... <laughs> it, it sounds like it could be very funny, but very sad at the same time. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So it's it's touching on all those topics, and I suppose that's what comedians do, you know, they shine a light on the on the darkest things or the most serious things by, by making fun of them or making us laugh with their content. So it's, it's that, it's dark comedy about serious issues like, yeah, OCD, agoraphobia, um, mm-hmm. mental health and anxiety and things like that, but through this 
absolute, I don't know what else to call her, but a nut job of a character who entertains herself all day. <laughs> Actually, that's the word I was hoping you'd get to, because yeah. reading about it, that's what she seems to be. Yeah, I mean, I've warned all my friends and family that they're going to want to delete me out of their lives after they see the play, because they're going to be like, oh my God, what is this person? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And it's... Probably asks a lot of questions of ourselves too when you're sitting there watching. Do you know what? We're all a bit mad that way. We all yeah. put out this impression of ourselves. Yeah, uh, that's one of um, the things that I have in the program. I've written a little note for the audience just to have a little read of because for me, a decision I came to a few years ago, and I'm I'm sure other people go through this is. I kind of realized, and I don't know was it the influence of social media or what, but I realized I was almost being a slightly, you know, differently tuned version of myself for different people just to adapt and kind of morph into what would suit this bubble and then this bubble and then this bubble. And mm. I, I, it was a bit exhausting at times. I was like, oh my God, I'm, you know, pretending to be a little bit, you know, I curse less around these people and then I'm, I'm a lot funner around these people and then I talk about very serious things about these people or around these people and I was like, oh my God, I'm, who am I? Like, am I, am I all these things? Am I none of these things? And that's, that's a huge element yeah. of the play as well. It's about like removing all those masks, ironically, considering the masks we're all wearing yeah, yeah. and yeah, just, just finding who you really are, I suppose, and, and being okay with being one version of yourself and if, pe- if people don't like you, they don't like you, that's fine. It's sold out. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I was really, really overwhelmed at that. Even with small groups as allowed in at the moment, mm-hmm. to sell out is still a massive achievement. Yeah, because, I mean, the the cat club is usually a 100-seater and yeah. with restrictions, you know, it's down to less than half of that. And I I still was worried because people were asking me, you know, about how how it's going to work with regard to social distancing and like, do we to wear masks in the audience and all all of this? And it's they've such a great setup in the cat club. It's your temperature taken on the way in. The whole theatre is steam cleaned afterwards. They uh, everyone is sitting in pods of two. So like, even if you come in a bigger group together, you still have to. It's only positive too and there's Fantastic. space around you it's great yeah well, so. congratulations with it Jess and I hope you have a very successful run uh, and it's sold out so there's no point in plugging it anymore but Jess Lean waiting for Wi-Fi at the Cat Club sold out for the rest of the week that's it the programme edited by Fiona Corkin produced and researched by Fergal Barry and we'll see you tomorrow just after nine Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.